0: I intentionally chose the, um, the screen image today, because this has been the focus of my heart. Um, oh, and by the way, those of you who are following the Isaiah series, we're taking a break from Isaiah for three weeks, and I will come back to it on the 26th, because uh, there's just too much in my life right now to spend real quality time studying. And I would rather not just throw something together just to say, we did an Isaiah sermon. So uh, we'll come back to Isaiah on the 26th of June. But um, I was thinking yesterday and again this morning when I first woke up, um, what a difference it makes when you pray over things. How in the world... I mean... The thing that I struggle with, with this idea of prayer changing things, is this: there's this mindset that seems to be presented, even in the Christian world, that if I pray hard enough, or long enough, or with the right words, then I can make things happen. You hear what I'm saying? I mean... Back about almost 20 years ago, I was living in Texas, actually, it was almost 25 years ago, I was living in Texas, and I had gotten involved with a local ministry, Uh, it was an evangelistic outreach put on by one of the local Baptist churches, where they brought in a ministry called Reality Outreach Ministries and Reality Outreach Ministries would come and put on a weekend presentation of a drama called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And what this is, is it's all actors from the local community coming together for one weekend, getting their parts assigned to them, practicing, learning their lines, learning their, their things, coming back on Sunday, rehearsing one more time Sunday afternoon and then Sunday night they do the performance. And it's all about... Well, the last few moments of a person's life on earth and their first moments in eternity as they stand before the gate of heaven and the gate of hell. And the whole theme is whatever you chose in your life, once death occurs, your fate has been sealed and you either are welcomed into heaven or you're drug into hell, kicking and screaming. And um, I did that show... I think I've done this show four or five times at different locations. Um, but one year, and, I, and, and in, 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 I think it's four times, and five, f- excuse me, five times and four of the times, no, five times and three of the times I played Satan in the, in the presentation. And then one time I played just a guy that ended up going to hell. And then another time I played... Uh, I don't remember who I played that thing. Anyway, but but the time that I played the guy that was going to hell, um, I also was on the prayer team. And so this was like the third season that we had done this. They did it three years in a row. And I was on the prayer team. So I did my scene. But then any other time for the evening, I was actually back in the prayer room. And they had different rooms set up in this Fellowship hall area. And they had, if you're in this room, they asked you to pray specifically for the actors. If you're in this room, you were to pray for the technical stuff. If you're in this room, you're supposed to pray for the audience members. If you're in this room, and it, we had specific things we were praying for. <clears throat> and then as the altar call was taking place, there was a person in the sanctuary with a small walkie talkie reporting back to the person who was in charge of the prayer room who was saying, there's a lady in a red jacket, and she's really close to making a decision. Pray for the lady in the red jacket. And then we'd get this, pray for the lady in the red jacket. And there's a person in the second row, and then she's wearing a blue shirt. And and we'd be praying for the woman in the blue shirt. And literally, I mean, let me just show you. Literally, I was kneeling, and... I'm at the kneeling station praying for the people, and the person would come in and say, "Pray for the lady in the blue shirt." Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! Please bless that woman, God. Help her to hear the truth. Don't let her ignore Jesus. Please, please, God, please. Why? Isn't it just as effective to say, "Father, in Jesus' name, I lift this woman to you, and I ask you to speak to her heart." But you see, for me, I was praying in, praying through, doing great prayers in the name of God. And I honestly felt afterwards, who are you trying to impress, Bob? Because God could hear you whether you screamed or whether you whispered. Now, I am not saying that there isn't a time to scream out before God. And I'm not saying there isn't a time to be fervent in your prayers. And I'm not saying there isn't a time for quiet, reflective, meditative prayer. It is whatever is going on in your world at that moment. And how you feel God is moving in your in your heart and in your spirit and what he's calling to you to and drawing you to. And sometimes it does take warrior-like, powerful words to fight against whatever is going on. I've been there. I have stood outside at a camp many, many years ago, and there was a young man that we believed was demonically oppressed or possessed. And I physically saw this 170-pound young man carrying a suitcase that was filled with at least 70 pounds worth of stuff pushing two 300-pound men out of his way as he was walking because he was going home. Now, a 170-pound guy carrying 70 pounds on his shoulder and with one hand pushing two 350-pound men out of his way, that is not physically normal and I believe with all of my heart that that young man was demon possessed and so I and two other people followed as they took him to the pastoral counselor. and they were we were sitting outside of the room and we were praying and we prayed for 20 or 30 minutes while they were in there counseling with this young man And we were—it was hard praying. Now I'm not saying I was pounding the seats and making all this noise, but I was trying to just pray with intention, with fervor, with with perseverance. And it was as if it was if there was just a heaviness over me. It was as if I was trying to pull away whatever it was that was keeping my words from even getting up above me, let alone up into the heavens. 20 to 30 minutes of this. The two of us. And then, it was as if a switch was flipped. It was as if this this mass of whatever it was above us was ripped to shreds apart and fell to nothingness and everything was open and the two of us just sat there gloriously worshiping and praising God. It was like... And the praises started flowing. We spent 20 to 30 minutes of intense spiritual warfare praying hard for what was going on, that God would bring freedom to this young man, that he would relieve him of the demonic activity in his life, that he would bring salvation to his soul. And then after 20 to 30 minutes, it was just the heavens opened and we were able to just worship freely and it was amazing and glorious and powerful. And within two minutes of that opening happening, one of the guys that was in the room with this young man came out and said, keep praying. He just gave his heart to Christ. And I, I understand that. I've talked with other pastors and other theologians about this. I understand that what is happening right then at that moment was a spiritual warfare that was taking place. That there were Christians who were in right relationship with God who knew God, who had authority under the name of Christ to be able to come into a situation and to use God's authority and to do spiritual battle on behalf of another human being and then when God's warrior angels or whatever was going on in the spiritual world that I couldn't see, finally were able to defeat that demon and get that demon out of there and then the power of God then flowed and that young man got saved. Now, I don't pretend to understand all of it, or any of it for that matter, but I know that I experienced an incredible, incredible, powerful time of prayer. But it wasn't Bob beating his fists or yelling. It was just Bob communing with the Father. And that's the other thing. Prayer to me is not me saying... You, demonic being, get out of here! Because if I'm praying, shouldn't I be praying to the one and only true God? And saying to God, there's something over here, God, that needs to be taken care of. Would you, God, please do what is necessary to remove whatever this is? See, I... I'm not saying, as Christians, we don't have authority to speak to something that's dark. I can show you in the Bible where it says that. But I can also show you in the Bible, in the book of Acts, as a matter of fact, I believe it's chapter 19. I believe it's chapter 19, verse 12. It's talking about the seven sons of Sceva. And it says, these guys go, Okay, demon. We're praying in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, that you get out of this man. And it says in the word of God that the demon, speaking through the human being that it was possessing, says, yeah, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? And it says that the demonic man came came up out of his seat, and he beat those seven sons of Sceva and send them running naked into the streets. So, doing spiritual warfare is not something to be taken lightly. And it is my opinion that it is much better for you Christians to talk to God and ask Him to do battle than it is to do it because, you know, you want to experience this really cool thing. Now, now, God will call those he's going to call to do what he is going to call them to do. The Bible very clearly tells us there are evangelists, there are pastors, there are teachers, there are prophets, there are intercessors. There are people whose calling it is to pray, to do warrior battle. And some people even are called, I believe, to speak to the demonic and to command. But it is not something to be taken and done lightly. And that's the thing I caution you and ask you to be careful about. Now, where am I going with all this? This is where I'm going. In the Bible it says, in James chapter 5, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I was thinking and meditating on that over the last few days, again, having gone through all that we've gone through with the crises that have been in various families and in various homes. And and, and in some cases I could be physically present, in other cases I couldn't, but I could be over the phone with somebody and I could at least pray. And prayer, again, from the pastor's perspective, prayer for me was a very powerful thing. There was this interchange that took place between me the person I was praying with or for and some and God obviously and maybe even some other heavenly entities I don't know because I, I couldn't physically see them but my point is this my point is this something happened powerfully when I was praying and it is not something for me to go huh I'm such a good intercessor I'm such a good prayer I'm so professional That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is is that something happened in the spirit realm because I prayed and God did some amazing and powerful things. And I think, unfortunately, there are some Christians who have got it in their head that they can call on God to do whatever they need God to do and God's going to do it because i got promises to prove it in the Bible. And as I reflected on that the last couple of days, I thought, you know, God, show me in the Bible, show me instances of prayer where the person praying had authority, power, could call on you to make you do things. Show me, let me, let me support all of these thoughts with scripture. And the one thing that God brought to mind, the one key one that God brought to mind was uh, was Moses. Because God, when the children of Israel have been rescued through the, the crossing of the Red Sea, and then Moses takes them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and then he goes up onto the, mount, the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights to hear the word of God and to receive the Ten Commandments, what ends up happening down in the camp? Do you remember? They get Aaron to fashion a calf, a new idol, their new God, and they begin worshipping this God. And they're reveling. Now that's a polite King James way of saying they were literally having holy sex. Okay? They were worshipping God, their new God. And up on the mountain, Jehovah turns to Moses and says, Your people have forsaken me. And I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And I'm going to start afresh with you. I'm going to raise other people out of you, Moses. I'm done. This is ridiculous. I'm done. I'm just going to zap them off the face of the earth. And Moses falls on his face before God. And he says, please, God, please. I mean, I don't have the scripture verse in front of me. I wish I had it tagged. But this was all reflection over the last 24 hours. God, don't do this. Why? Because it will bring a bad name on you. It'll give you a bad reputation, God. Don't do this. Because then the world will look and say, "See, their God wasn't powerful enough to take them through, so he just killed them all." And it literally says, "God relented at the word of Moses." God, I mean Moses through his prayer was able to change the heart of God. I see other instances, the, the one specifically that I keep thinking of is Daniel. Daniel was known as a man of prayer. Daniel prayed three times a day. He would go up to his room, get on his prayer mat, open the windows, and face Jerusalem, face the east where he was where, where Jerusalem was located, and he or not east, he would face west to get to, back to Jerusalem. But he would face Jerusalem and he would pray for three. I mean, for for an hour each day, three times a day. And if you go into the latter chapters of Daniel, you will find that Daniel spent 21 days plus in prayer over a specific situation. And all of a sudden, the archangel Michael, not Michael, Yeah, Michael appears to Daniel and says, I was dispatched from the throne room of God on the very first day when you began praying, but I have been doing war up in the heavenlies with the enemy who's over this earth, who was trying to keep me from coming to you. And if finally Gabriel came and took over the fight so that I could come through and get down here in response to your prayer. So we see there in Daniel's story that a person who is in right relationship with God and is faithful in their praying and is actually methodical in the way that they pray and making sure that they are disciplined in their prayers has the ability to request spiritual warriors to come from heaven to do battle on their behalf. Now, it's, again, not an arrogant thing. It's not like, hey, i got authority and I'm calling my army down here. It's, I am coming to you, God, my only source of hope, my only source of help, my only means of meeting this problem, and I'm trusting you to do whatever is necessary, and as a result, God can dispatch warrior angels. There's the old gospel song that says, He could have called ten angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Jesus could have called for all of heaven's armies. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. But because he was willing... To do his father's will. Because it had been settled during that prayer. In the garden of Gethsemane. He didn't call on the warrior angels. To come and do battle for him. However. If you look in the gospel of Luke. In the Gethsemane story. You will find that the holy father. Sent angels from heaven. Down to the garden. To minister to Jesus. At the end of his time of prayer. Just before the arrest took place. So again, this intense time of prayer, where there's a battle going on, intense war in my heart, and pleading with God, if it's at all possible, let this pass, don't make me go through this, God, please. And if not, let your will be done. If there's nothing else, let your will be done. And even in that instance, even though the the horror couldn't be averted, even though the will of God was that he had to press through that dark time, there was still an angel that was sent to minister to his soul, to his body, to his heart, to his mind. I'm not sure what was going on. All I know is that the Bible clearly tells us that that happened. Now that's just three instances. Moses changing the mind of God. Daniel changing. Faithfully praying and angels being dispatched to do battle. Jesus, who had an incredible relationship with the Father, not able to change the heart of God, but at least got a response to the point where it said, I'll help you get through this, son. Another one I was thinking about was, what about Elijah on the Mount of Carmel? With the 450 prophets of Baal. And what does he say? That's pretty bold prayer. If you're really the God of all gods, which I know you are, send some fire down to lap this up. Can we do this? And God says, that's easy. Now, again, I believe Elijah was motivated by the Holy Spirit to do this. But that doesn't mean that what he did was wrong. Okay? But again, it's a hard attitude. It's not an arrogant, I have authority, so I'm going to call down fire from heaven. Because we did see that in the Gospels. Remember the um, John and James with Jesus? And they're walking around and Somebody's not responding well and John and James says, do you want us to call down fire from heaven, God, and devour them? And Jesus is like, no. Don't remember that story. Go read it. But my point, my point in all of this is that just as James has told us, the prayers of the righteous are powerful. The prayers of the righteous. Are effective. The prayers of the righteous literally can move the hand of God. But the understanding is it's still God that does whatever is necessary. It's still the power of God, it's still the, 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 the authority of God, it is still um, the godness of God. One of the things I appreciated so much when Maggie said to me earlier this week that she was praying for Al. She said, I'm praying. I don't remember how you said it. I'll try and say it and you correct me if I'm wrong. She said something to the effect of I'm going to pray that God would be that glove on the surgeon's hand. The glove on the surgeon's hand. In other words, that God would go between the patient and the surgeon and actually do the work. That to me was a powerful image. It really was. But the, the thing that the thing that made me think that that expression made me think, and I was able to share it with Al and with others in the room, was when we pray for healing for somebody. It is God. That brings about the actual healing. The surgeons understand our bodies. The surgeons have enough knowledge and training and skill to make an educated guess on what's needed and then to do what's needed and then they sew it back up and then they step back and say, done. Now we just have to wait for you to heal. See, they didn't bring healing, they just removed what was sick. Or treated what was sick. But ultimately, it's God that still has to make those cells knit back together again. It's God that has to make the gut start functioning properly again. To make the kidneys function again. To make the lungs function again. You can do everything right and still have the patient die. Because the healing didn't take place. And so ultimately, even in those situations, it says... I mean, it is, it is the truth that God is the one bringing about the healing. Now let's bring this back into our prayer thing in James. Because if you go just a, a verse or two, just above this verse in James, it says the prayer of the righteous person is, uh, is powerful and effective. Just two or three verses before that, it says, if anybody is in, your, in your congregation is sick, bring them before the elders and have them pray for them and anoint them with oil and they will be healed. And I thought, that's a pretty bold statement, James. Because I'm the elder in the church. So that means every time I pray for somebody, they've got to be healed. What about Cora, God? How come she's not been healed? I mean, I prayed fervently for her for years, God. What's the deal? And the Lord showed me something that happened Friday night that kind of spoke to this for me. We watched a movie in here Friday night at our movie night Thing. It was called Faith Like Potatoes, and there were two really dramatic scenes in that movie. Number one, there was a situation where there was a lightning storm, a thunderstorm happening, and the family, the 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 the, the, the main family, was settled in their home. It's late at night; they're sleeping, I think, and um, the. Uh, this a big, huge tumult comes up, a whole bunch of people come running to the window, and they're banging on the window. He goes out to see what's going on, and a woman in that village has been struck by lightning. Actually, a house was struck by lightning, and one person was killed outright, one was seriously burned, and the rest all escaped with just minor injuries. And they said, you need to come, you need to come, you need to pray. Because he was a man of God, and he was an outspoken man of God at that point in his life. And he came and they said, You pray for him for her. And they bring her him to the dead woman. And he walks into that hut, literally walks over to the dead woman, and he looks up to heaven. And he says, I don't know what to pray, God. I don't know what to pray. And then There was an instant, and I didn't fully understand what they were saying in this movie, but I I assumed that it was some kind of an inspiration from the Holy Spirit of God. He grabs the dead body, lifts her up, and yells, In the name of Jesus, stand! And the woman goes, And he's like, Can you understand me? And she goes, "Uh You can really understand me? Uh And he walks out of there going, Oh my word. He literally just called a woman back to life who had been dead. And he's like amazed. And he goes back to his house and he's just amazed. God did this powerful, amazing thing. And now he's talked about a lot. because This is the man who can pray and people come back to life. Later on, months later in the movie, he and a family members are all gathered for a big picnic, and he decides to go ride on his tractor with uh, his coworker to go help pull a piece of equipment out of a ditch. And two little kids, a niece and a nephew, or a daughter and a nephew, want to go with them. And they say, "Yeah, come sure, on, come on, come on, come on." And so uh, the lead guy is driving the tractor. His associate is standing behind on a little frame and one little girl sitting on one wheel well of the tractor and the little boy is sitting on this wheel well of the tractor and they're riding the tractor down the dirt path and they're talking and joking and laughing and all of a sudden they hit a bump and the little boy falls off the tractor and it ran over, literally crushing his head and they're screaming and hollering. And he's yelling, go get help! Go call for help! And he's the only one left on the dirt road sitting there screaming and screaming and he picks up his nephew and holds his bloody body in his arms and he's trying to breathe CPR and he's just, God, don't let him die! His words, God, Jesus, don't let him die! Please, God, please, I can't do this! I love him so much! Please, God! And then they carry him to the hospital. And they take him and back into the emergency area. And not five minutes later, the doctor comes out and puts his hand on his shoulder. And he says, I'm sorry, but it was just too late. And the little boy dies. And the man of God falls at the, floor, uh, the, the, the base of the wall, just crying and weeping. And then his brother, the boy's father, comes running in the hallway and says, my son! And then the two brothers come and they embrace. And then the mother of the boy comes and they're all crying and embracing and weeping. And my thought was why couldn't he raise that one? And what God whispered to me was my sovereign will. That which advances my kingdom or serves my purposes will happen. That which I don't choose to happen is not going to happen no matter how hard you scream and cry and pray. And I thought again, this is all in the last 24 hours because I've had a powerful week here in watching prayer, a powerful, effective prayer changing things. And my thought was, God. I don't I don't want to ever be glib or arrogant and call out. Well, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the presence. And if two or three agree, of uh, any one of you agree on any one thing, it shall be done for them. And you can... I don't doubt there are specific promises that are being made. But the problem is, is so often we try to take those promises out of the context in which they're found. And we find out that we're trying to manipulate words into, into our own circumstances and our own situation. So how do we wrap all this up? Where am I? Where am I in my thought process? My thought process is this: in order to have the ability to pray anything, you have to have right relationship with God, and you have to be in right relationship with God. It's not just once asking Him to be your Savior, but it's continuing in that to walk in that right relationship. Ultimately, you have to have Him as your Lord. Ultimately, you have to have totally consecrated everything to Your world. I also see, as Daniel's example, that we need to be consistent in our praying. Not just praying whenever it's important or necessary, but praying regularly. We also need, when the time is appropriate, we need to challenge and say, God... This does not make sense to me and what you're saying doesn't make sense. And can I please be bold enough to say to you, I think you're getting it wrong. That's kind of bold. But I think God allows that. Have, as a parent, have you never had your child challenging? And then you back off and go, you know, from that perspective, I can see your point. And I think sometimes we have the right to come before God and say I- I'd like to be bold here if I may please and let God hear your, your heart he may not change his mind but he's your loving father and he cares about you and he wants that relationship so why wouldn't he want you to come into his presence and, and call him on something that you just don't agree with or don't like or are struggling with <clears throat> and then finally And this is something that I learned when I first moved here years ago. When you find yourself in a situation and you're the one that's being called on to pray over a situation, take a moment to pray asking God how you should pray. That sounds kind of convoluted, but let me explain what I'm coming from. There were two people that came into my life early in my ministry. One was Alfred Hill and one was Elaine Pettit. Alfred Hill was a gifted intercessor. He still is. He's still alive. And he, would, he has prayed for and seen miraculous healing because he prayed. And he told me, whenever I go into a room to pray over someone who's sick, I go in with faith. I go in with an attitude that God is going to hear me and God is going to respond. But before I pray for healing, I tell the person I need to silently pray for just a moment. And while I'm silently praying, I'm asking the Father, is it alright if I pray for healing in this situation or do you have other things in plan- planned for this person? And then he listens carefully. And then when he gets the green light to pray, he prays without question and without, without any reservation because he knows that he heard from the Father this is what he's supposed to pray and then Elaine Pettit shared with me in her ministry here. Whenever I go to the altar to pray with someone who has come forward, I kneel down with them and I ask them to give me a moment to pray. And then I ask, them, I ask the Father, what, should I, what words should I say over this person? Because God sees my heart. God knows what I'm saying without me even voicing a word. But the words that I use can be powerfully healing and effective in the person's life. God can use the words that we speak as we pray in a powerful and mighty way to bring healing and hope. And you may not even understand it. You may not even realize it. But weeks later, they'll come back to you and say, you won't understand what you said. But oh my goodness, when you said those very words... It just gave me a foundation to stand on, and I walked in confidence. And so with Elaine Pettit's instruction, that's what I have learned to do. When, when somebody asks me to pray for them, I first say, God, is it okay to pray this? And secondly, what should I say? How should I say And there are a lot of times where God will give me a verse out of the scriptures to pray over the person And as a result, not only is God answering, but there's some really powerful stuff going in the heart and mind of the person as they hear the words spoken over them. So that's what I learned in my meditation this week on what prayer is. Prayer is powerful, effective, useful. It advances the kingdom of God. It is not a tool for manipulating God to your own will. And it is not something anyone should ever shy away from. And it should be part of your everyday. Let's pray.